And now, with Sound Investing, here's Paul Merriman. Well, I got a special podcast today. Uh, Some of you remember that I promised last year to create a list of top 10 truth-tellers in our industry. And as you may know, I got all the way to one. And today, I get to not only double, but in a sense, triple my record from last year, because I have uh, two of the folks that I have actually worked with for many, many years. And uh, as far as I'm concerned, having worked with them and know their commitment to helping investors, uh, it is proud, I am proud to have uh, Tom Cock and Don McDonald here with me as we introduce two more truth-tellers to our listeners. So, Tom and Don, thank you so much. Thank you, and the challenge is on. Uh, it is yeah, indeed, now yeah. you have to tell the I truth, because now you've been called one. <laughs> I'm simply going to say I don't recall, I don't so hopefully recall. that is still the truth. Mr. Merriman, uh, I, I don't I, recall yeah, I all that conversation. We'll I had goes. a problem. This might be yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a, a concern. It might be a problem. So, so here's what I'd like to do. I, I'd like to be able to introduce you guys to our listeners we've got over twenty two thousand now that's pretty Whoa. good and sometimes pretty we even, good that's we even really get a, good forty thousand people show up for whatever we're we're doing so it's great to be able to introduce you to some new folks and so i want to try to let them understand what it is that you do now what i'm most concerned about is the educational part of what you do although I think we ought to tell them what you do to stay uh, alive and make a living. So uh, just tell me about what you do business-wise and then what you do educationally. Well, to stay alive, he has a lovely little tent under the bridge. No. Bruce down the street. I, I, soccer referee. Oh, I soccer make, referee. I made like $1,800 right. last year. He's rolling a lot of in money. dough. He did you money. do your IRA? I, my, my non-deductible IRA? No, I did okay. not. So. Yeah, no. Uh, what we do, and as a matter of fact, what we believe more than anything, even though our our business is about making us a little money and others too, um, we, we built a business on the back of education. Our number one goal is to educate everybody everywhere as much as we can, much like yours. And to that end, we have a radio show in the Seattle area on Como talking real money, which we've also turned into a podcast talking real money, which is supplemented by daily podcasts called talking real money podcast. And, uh, we teach classes and well, and I want to go, go back a little further because people may not know our association and certainly where Don comes from because Don and I actually come from a somewhat different background than normal that gets into this business. Now you were a stockbroker in the 1860s, no, 1960s. I always get the year wrong. But the, um, And Don was briefly, too, but he had a national radio show for a couple of decades. So he got to talk to all these people and see how the confusion and the harm, all that. And I, I came, I was a journalist as well, got to own a couple of radio stations. And that's, by the way, how I met both of you. Yeah. So our, our, we come from a different background, I think, than your traditional financial advisor or even registered investment advisor who comes from being a stockbroker somewhere along the way, giving advice and then saying, wait a minute, I'm not acting in the best interest of my clients here. So, so yes, we are. And by the way, we'll give you full credit because mm-hmm. when I started working with you in the late 90s, you are the you are the guy. You're out there educating all these people, and you're kind enough to bring me in and let me be part of that. And that's really where all our whole business practice started from. So, and we'll be, I mean, completely honest here. Yes, we educate people, but a lot of those people, in your words, simply pushed the chips across the table. Guy did it yesterday and said, I've heard you guys for six years on the radio. I believe what you say. And they become our clients. So Everything we know, we stole from Paul. My son came to a class once after hearing you speak and said, is there anything you came up with on your own? I said, no, I took it all from Paul. It's okay. So, I mean, that's our, so that's why the education is the root because we truly do believe, and we just told our clients this last week, the better we help everybody, the better we all off. We, because if you save and you invest for the future, then I'm going to have to help you as a taxpayer less in the future anyway. And that's the way I look at it. Wonderful when you can tell people the truth and make a living, which is so unique in this industry. Uh, that that would be true. So it really is. So let's talk about the helping the do-it-yourselfer for a second, because uh, that's a difficult challenge, I think, 
partly because you can motivate them to think straight for a few hours, maybe a few days. But how do you keep a do-it-yourself investor with what you are doing to help them on the right path? Is I'm going to give my answer, and then Don can give his. Yeah. We dumbed down what you had done for years, you and you still have on your mm-hmm. website the 10 mutual fund portfolio, which I think is wonderful. And we send people there all the time who want to spend that much time on it. And I love, by the way, the fact that you've gone to the, the two-fund 401k, because what we found over time was people are confused by that. 10 funds, and how do I do it? So now... On our show, and and when we do classes, we give them a two-fund portfolio. One's VT Wax, and the other one's the Vanguard Total Bond. And you have to decide the ratio between those two and get on with your life. But we also give them a tool for free that we pay for and we get nothing from and don't even do a sales pitch with it. We have a thing called a risk quiz, which is a very, very good uh, tool, a test to indicate your tolerance for risk and gives people a port- some portfolio structure guidance for do-it-yourselfers. And the other thing, though, that I think helps keep them on the straight and narrow is having a podcast nearly every day. Because we found that our podcast listeners, as you found, listen a lot, loyally, and that is the consistency. People need that kind of consistency of message. It's okay. Hang in there. Don't worry about the presidential election. Don't worry about the coronavirus. Those things will all pass as has everything else. Stay the course. Once a year, take a look and see how your balance is and move a little from stocks to bonds and quit worrying about the correction or whatever it is that might come someday. Let's talk about that risk tolerance test, which I think most of them on the internet are not very good. We can do it with you. There's a few electrodes and a little bit of electricity we run through <laughs> you just to see how I don't see trust how... you that much. Okay, all right. Well, <laughs> That's gonna... a different list of top 10. <laughs> We're going start to start the hookup, but we'll leave it at that. Well, ours is based on, on, a, on a lot, th- something you really like, which is academic research. Good. And it is good. one based on, uh, it's out of Great Britain, hmm. and they have based it on multiple universities research into the kinds of questions that elicit Mm -hmm. the responses that are very telling as opposed to just saying things like how much risk can you take they give you various scenarios and say in this scenario what would you do in the and but what they do is they double and triple check that scenario by rewording it different ways to make sure that the answers are consistent it's pretty darn good in fact i've i've had a couple of people who were um in the business who said this is one of the best they'd ever seen that said i would also add i find it fascinating i bet you dollars to donuts people's scores are very high right now their tolerance risk is very high right now after a 10-year basically bull market than it was in 2009 where people be saying oh i i just lost 30 percent of my i never want to go through that again where day after day after day was going down so um but i think it's it's a it's a helpful part of a planning it's a tool i don't think i wouldn't use it as one thing and say built it that way and by the way i want to add on to what don said about sort of getting the education once we have a guy who showed up to a, a client event last week who said he's listened to every 335 podcasts. 333 at the time he's listened now to every one to and he loves it he loves he loves the way it's presented and and but he i think he's somebody that needs to hear it We all need, you don't go to church once, right? I mean, you got to hear the message over and over and over because there are so many other messages coming at you from every way. And, you know, it's, it's hard. I think it is very hard. And I do find it interesting how people can say, in fact, there was a fellow that I heard on one of your shows where he was in all large cap and he was very proud he had done well in large cap. He also said that he listens to my show as mm-hmm. well. Then he said, I, I never had any ideas what I could do besides large cap. And I'm thinking, he's listening to my show and he doesn't know what else there you is. Think that, you think that's painful? How about when they come into the office and they say, I've listened to Tom and Don and Paul for 20 years and I see their portfolio and it's active management. Yes. I go, which part were you listening to? Right. Anyway, so we, the message needs to be put. It, it, it isn't a one-time it's deal. It's consistent. Yeah. Consistency. It's, you, you have to repeat it about a thousand times. Yeah. It's like learning to play the violin. To learn to be a really good long-term investor, the message must be repeated over and over again ad infinitum. So, so do board. you think that in terms of doing something special for your clients, 
that differentiates you from other advisors. Is it that educational piece, or is there any other way that you could say your business is different? Wow, that's a great question. Um, I think that's at the core of everything we do. That, and, and I think the other part is, and I, I think we stole, I stole this from you as well, that we help anybody. Mm-hmm. So there are people that come in here we know are never going to be our clients, and we'll say this, this, and this, you know, take an aspirin, call me in the morning. There are those yeah. people, we do that for people. Yeah. And we help them as families. We're very insistent on, you got a 30-year-old kid, see that 401k, you got a younger that's got some money, let's get a Ross. So we're very insistent on all that. But I think that... I think at the end of the day, where the business has transitioned in the last 10 years that I think we're very good at is we're planning centric. I mean, the investments are... We've become more planning centric. Yeah, I think we started out more investing centric, but now we've really shifted more toward the holistic planning approach to planning a life, not just one event or one goal, but life planning and counseling. I think that's what sets us apart now is that we are we're very big on ongoing counseling. In fact, we have certified a certified counselor on staff hmm. who can help people in all aspects of retirement, not just the financial part. By the way, that certified counselor would like to see you right after we're done. <laughs> yeah, well, I need my counseling. <laughs> well, no, session. I am interested. What? Give me an example of what that counselor has done with a. A, a client or two. Yeah, so this this is really about um, something that you've done very well in retirement, and that is purpose. I mean, we know that the highest suicide rate, I think, in the United States right now is men in their 70s because they get, they're done with work, their purpose, they're sort of, I was, my job was to supply money for the family. I don't do that anymore. I'm not involved in my children's lives anymore because they moved on. So the counseling truly is looking at all at sort of who you are personality-wise. Now, I took the test, and it is the truth. I failed because I don't have enough things sort of in place to have a successful retirement. Mm. Oh, they I thought it was because t- you didn't have a personality, and it said, <laughs> your personality free, sir. How did that happen? I failed. So, I mean, the, the, the idea here is that before retirement, yeah. you've sort of – We've gauged your personality. We've gauged the things you're interested in rather than looking at retirement as a run-on vacation, which we know people fail at very badly. You're looking at all these things. So I've already started working on a list of the things I would do if I quit. I I can't imagine still quitting all the way. I mean, we would do our radio show, I think, forever if we could do it because we love it. And I, by the way, the other thing I would do is I would sit down and meet with people as much as possible. I love that. That I to me is. I would just sit in my studio and make radio shows. <laughs> that'd would. be. That's all I want to do. That's but it. I mean, that's you you were the guy who said that once. That's like having dessert every day. I mean, to me, it yeah. is because I like meeting with somebody yesterday that I'd never met before. I, I that I, that part of the whole work, I absolutely. Well, and it, it also gets me the, the counseling gets into aspects of you know where are you going to live, how are you going to live, uh, how are you going to take care of yourself. Uh, a lot of things that don't get factored into a normal financial planning. Mm-hmm arrangement um the industry i think is going to head more in that direction to where it's life planning not just financial planning in fact when i started in the business it was not unusual that after an hour to an hour and a half of conversation you you knew what the client probably needed as far as an investment Mm -hmm. today uh, advisors are spending six hours uh, but they're finding out, like you say, a, a lot, lot more, more information. Them. And yeah. the more we find, the more you know about your clients, sure. the better the job you can do for them. And we really believe this. And we just had a, 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 an event with our clients. Ours is a lifelong and actually multi-generational business. Mm-hmm. We should be here, not just for our clients today, but for their kids and their grandkids. In fact, we had an 18-year-old young woman who was the grandchild of one of our clients who came in and he introduced her as one of our youngest clients. She had a $1,000 IRA with us. That's great. Um, not our youngest. Not our youngest. Well, <laughs> we know actually. Is 12. Yeah, the youngest is Tom's daughter. Yes. But he Tom always Fyra, likes to find so. a way to get bragging rights. <laughs> I see. I see. Exactly. Well, let's get to the radio show for a second and, and the work that you're doing. Well, you got, they're, they're all kind of radio, internet shows. Audio-ish, uh, Podcasts, yes, right. that type of thing. Uh, Don, I just, I just want to ask about your, your anger. This anger management thing. That you I do have, have an issue with that. Yes, uh, Paul. In I, terms I'm going to go see my counselor right now. Every time the word stockbroker comes up, <laughs> you start growling in the back and hear it. 
And I have yet to hear you say something nice about a stockbroker. Now, I just want to take a second because we have a lot of listeners who are stockbrokers. Say something nice about a stockbroker. They're not insurance agents. You're oh. married to one. <laughs> I, no, am. They're, they're, I mean, I am. that's the nicest thing I you can am. say. I was one. I see the yeah. thing about me and you. I was one, and I spent a, a lot of time going, "What are we doing to people?" Yeah. And to this day, for example, uh, uh, we had a client come in yesterday who was working with one of the biggest brokerage firms in terms of retail clients, not the big Wall Street houses, but the one that's out there on every street corner. And the guy honestly, the, the the couple honestly thought they paid zero in commissions. Yeah, this is this industry needs to up its game. Stockbrokers need to believe at their core about uh, in transparency. If you can't tell someone the truth about a product, maybe you're doing the wrong thing. And by the way, I don't know that necessarily the person is bad. I think no, I think you put anybody in that situation. Yeah. Where I was a I, good person and a bad broker. Yeah, where yeah. where I mean, if I if if you buy this annuity, I can get a bigger boat. I mean, or whatever whatever financial yeah. reward there may be. Uh, you've also spoken about you know working for ethical organizations. Many of these organizations are not ethical. Not at their core. Yeah. Now they may pretend and they may pay, pay lip service to ethics. But at their core, they are sales organizations. And I'm not anti-capitalism, but I am, as one Republican president once said, a big believer in compassionate capitalism Mm -hmm. and honest and transparent capitalism. And if you can't compete by being truthful, then there's a problem. Of course, when there's, uh, let's say, 70 years of tradition of using the public to make a big living, uh, it's hard to turn that boat quickly. And Mm -hmm. I don't know the number anymore, but how many fiduciaries are there uh, compared to the people who are either not fiduciaries or they're duly licensed to be both? The last number I saw was from 2015. Mm Mm-hmm. And the number was the, 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 all of the financial advice providers, this includes insurance agents who sell financial products like annuities, stockbrokers, uh, people who call themselves financial advisors, which is a misnomer, and registered investment advisors. Of those, 1% are always required. Doesn't mean they always will, but are always required to act in the client's best interest. The other 99% have a loophole. And conversely, I mean, it doesn't mean those 99 are always going to do something bad to you. Right. But, but why would you ever put yourself in that position? I mean, it'd be like going to a physician who might think, well, if I sell you this drug, I make twice as much. I mean, Don, Don referred to this couple who came in yesterday, thought they were paying no commissions, and they paid thousands of dollars to buy the funds. They were paying 12B1 fees every year that were very expensive, too. And the point is, and he was shy about telling them that. I think transparency is the other part of this, that our company, we've done well. It's like, here's what we're going to do. Here's what here's we're going to charge. Yeah, and it, it's your decision to make, but we try to be very straightforward with that part of here's it. Here's the message to stockbrokers. People aren't stupid. They know that you're going to get paid for this somehow. Don't insult their intelligence like so many who sell, for example, indexed annuities or or variable annuities who tell their clients to their faces. And I've never heard a case of the opposite where they tell them to their faces, oh, you don't pay a commission. Well, where do you get paid? The company pays me. I thought you were supposed to be saying something nice about these people. I can't. (laughs) I'm sorry. And it's not the individuals. I think the world of the individuals, but I think it behooves the individuals to look for a new opportunity because the firms that are being truthful and honorable are having a very diff- they're, they're growing like weeds and, and having a tough time finding good people to fill their shoes. But here's what we found when we, cause we're growing like crazy. Mm-hmm. The problem we found is that a lot of stockbrokers don't want to work for a firm like ours because they won't make as much money. They'll right. still make a good living, but yep. instead of making 300 or 400 or $500,000, they might be capped at two or two and a quarter. Yep. It's a yep. different lifestyle. Yeah, especially in the Seattle area where it's a very expensive place to live. So you have a, a form, a fiduciary form, or a form that you would ask a broker to sign. Mm-hmm. What's that about? It's called the advisor interview form. How many times have they signed it? 
I have I have never I heard of a single case. <laughs> We've signed several of yes, them. Yes, we have. Um, it's a simple form. It's a two-page form, front and back. It's PDF. It's at talkingrealmoney.com. And the front side is, tell me a little bit about you and your your qualifications and how you are paid, You know how you're going to manage my money. And then on the back, it says, are you always acting as a fiduciary? If so, please sign here. And what if they sign and it turns out they have not been a fiduciary. Well, what, I don't know what that are the it does There aren't any. They're really. off your Christmas card list. You'll I mean, say legally, something about them. Legally, does it mean anything? I think maybe if you took them to court and you were suing them for for breach of fiduciary responsibility, that it a, 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 a court may take that into consideration. It's but, more about putting people on notice. But it's, it's yeah, it's more about saying, I'm okay, watching. tell me the truth. Yeah. So so tell me about the truth uh, regarding the future. Because we've got we've got investors who made a killing from the nineteen seventy five to nineteen ninety nine golden bull market that compounded just with the S P five hundred. You could do better with small cap, but just with the S P five hundred compounded at over seventeen percent. That is then followed by a twenty year period that the market compounds at six percent. You're scaring me now. <laughs> what do you tell people about the expectations for long-term returns? Well, is- I, I tell them I don't know, but I also tell them all I know is 75 years of data, whatever it is, going back to the mid-20s. That's all I know. Um, I think Gene Fama said it best when he said the expected return of any security is the return. I mean, to say anything else is complete supposition, right? To say, and, well, the future looks different because interest rates are low. And because that's and all for those of you nonsense. who don't know, Gene Fama oh, won the me. Nobel Prize for Economics in 2013. Yeah, I mean, so that's what I tell people. That may be way off. I also, but I also no, say you're by, dead on. Well, the no, return is the return. Well, no, but I, may, but I mean to say the future will look somewhat like the past. I also tell them, it won't. You won't be able to come to complain to me because I'll be retired. But my son, you can come and complain. I mean, <laughs> that's good. I, it's kind of a, I, you can get mad, but I won't be. But we we don't know. I mean, right? We don't. And, we don't. And know. we don't sell expectations. We don't tell people that they they can expect X in the future. In fact, we tell them we have no clue what you can expect in the future. The only thing we expect is that the future will be similar to the past. In that, stocks because they're riskier should return more than bonds. And in the last 20 years, the long-term treasury outperformed the S&P 500. So there will be times that that's not going to work out Absolutely. the way you thought it was going to. It's always going to, there's going to be a lot of flip-flopping. We get, we get a lot of pushback from people on our insistence on an international component in a portfolio. The reason being, the last 10 years for international stocks have been pretty terrible. The last 10 years for U.S. stocks have been pretty awesome. We have to remind them because they totally, they don't even know. They didn't even realize Mm -hmm. for some reason that U.S. stocks between 2000 and 2010 performed, particularly large company stocks, performed miserably, but international performed well. Investing in stocks is really about optimism. I mean, you really have to believe the future is going to be bright in some way, right? That economies are going to be better and there's going to be companies that form that you don't know about today that are going to be and america is going to do well all these other places that about mankind has been on a sort of an upward it's not every year because world war one comes along world war two all those things that are but over time things have grown and we've done better so i think investing in stocks you have to be optimistic let's change that a little bit though because when i think when we say investing in stocks we are being a little bit misleading in that we're still that old mindset still exists that investing in stocks means picking some stocks. No, no, no. I'm talking and about markets. I think markets. we need to yeah. say we need to make it very clear those of us who educate that we are not talking about investing in stocks. We are talking about investing in the global economy, the economy of this planet, which. I, there was a, a brilliant study done many years ago by a professor in Scotland by the name of Angus something, and I cannot remember his last name. And he went and looked, tried to recreate the economy of the world based on historical records from records in China, uh, Middle East, India, Europe, North America over the past 2,000 years, 
And he his chart shows definitively that the economy of the planet has grown consistently. Even when you factor in things like the Dark Ages, has grown consistently globally over that entire 2000 year and, period and logarithmically at the end. And by the way, if you go if you go back far enough, obviously it was dominated by places like China and India where it was far and then we moved to the new world and in some ways we're moving back to the because there's more opportunity it, in China. Fluctuate. It it goes so I, yeah, I, you're right, Paul. We don't know what the future holds, but again, um I, if I was a long-term investor, I would say like Don said, Invest properly, check it once a year, call me in the morning. I mean, because that's the best you can do. So the other thing we can do is figure out a way to get young people to save more than they're saving. But let's think back to when we were young. What was your, did you put away 10% a no year? No way. 15, no, no, 20? No, never. no, no, never did any of that. No, in fact, my father who ended up with money at the end of his life because he went back in the military, as you know, and, and got a pension, and, and that's what they lived off. And, and the only money he ever had was when he sold a house. He bought a house in, in near where Jeff Bezos now lives hmm. for $65,000 in the late 1960s. I hope he still has that. And 15 years <laughs> later, he sold it for, I think it was like 900000 or wow. something. That money... He and my mom never spent. That was their that was their nest egg, and he ended up. They both ended up passing away and leaving it to their kids. Even though I tried to convince my mother to spend it. No, I was never a saver. I didn't come. My my family didn't do that. My father was a physician. He made some investments, but not in individuals, not in stocks or stock markets. He was in real estate and a few other mm -hmm. things. But so no, I never had that. And and in fact, really, until I was educated as kind of a financial journalist, when we had the old KEZX here in Seattle, oh, I never yeah. really thought about it. I was like. Oh, yeah, I should be setting something aside for tomorrow. That That's where my thoughts started, but not at a young age, no. How about you, Don? No, I was a terrible saver at, at a young age. I couldn't afford it. We were poor. My family was literally dirt poor, and, uh, and, and I grew up er, my early years just working minimum wage jobs until I finally got a break and became a stockbroker, literally. I, actually, I was in sales for a while where I learned the power of commissions. Um, but, uh, but see today is really different because then you had to make a conscious effort to save today. There are so many cool tools out there. Thanks to the internet that allow younger people to make it, to save unconsciously. Mm -hmm. That's why we love acorns, for example, where mm -hmm. you don't even have to do anything. You use your, your debit card and they take a piece of that and put it away. You can even put, I think, put it away in an IRA today, yes, right? Yes, you can. And then yeah. it grows and, and you can go look at it every once in a while on your phone. But And I've been nothing. doing it and it's just it turns pennies into suddenly over a few years, it's thousands of dollars. And I go, that's just astonishing. I wish that existed. Right. The other thing that we love passionately is if you've got a kid, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, who's, who has a job. Quit giving them crap for birthdays and Christmas. Stop it. They will never remember it. They won't. It, that Two years from now, a year from now, six months from now, it'll be obsolete. Instead, get those grandparents and aunts and uncles to get together and set up a Roth IRA with your kid. Take call, Get it online with Vanguard. Set up a Roth IRA with Ameritrade or Schwab or whomever it might yep. be. Set up that thing and then send a card to all the family saying, please send money to this account. Or 529. Well, for younger kids, fund yeah. 529. Yeah. But I just think it's a great gift because if I had... All the presents. I don't remember a single present I got as a kid. Not one. Well, Rector set when I was like seven. I got that a cool. sweater from my grandmother. I haven't. But had left. Had Go. those. Had those same. You know, fifty dollars here and twenty five dollars there yeah, yeah. been put in or had been able to, and then you couldn't. I I probably have tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, additional retirement dollars. Well, we have seen in our lifetimes the commission rate on stocks uh, regulated so that for 100 shares of IBM, you paid a $175 commission. If you bought 1,000 shares, you paid a total of $1,750. Mm -hmm. I remember those days at the very be beginning of my career, and then we lost, started losing big commissions. Right, because when they deregulated, it's come down today. Not only is the bid-ask spread very, very small, mm -hmm. but there are no commissions on on most trades today, or if there is, it's pennies. Uh, and now you have Fidelity offering zero uh, expenses in mutual funds. 
Now, how are they doing that? How are they able to offer a mutual fund that does not have an expense ratio? There's no minimum to get in. What is it? I don't have a good answer for I that. Do. I don't know the I business model. I know model. what the answer is. I know what the business model is. The business model is that cash in this right now is king in the world. Cash is very valuable. Safety, so investors are looking for safety. That's why we have negative rates in Europe. So right now, the spreads between what a uh, an organization can pay out and what they can earn on that money are pretty substantial. And, and what? So what? But how much are they keeping in cash so in the keep, Fidelity Free Fund or whatever I, it is? They do have a cash position, okay. and so it doesn't take much of a cash position when you are not doing anything. And the other thing that Fidelity Free Funds do is they're not buying; they don't have the expense of buying all the stocks in the marketplace or in the particular index. They're emulators. So they're buying a reduced portfolio. They're buying a smaller portfolio of securities to keep their costs down a little bit. But uh, with Schwab, Schwab has, has said that if you want these free accounts, you got to keep a certain amount in cash. That's a different situation, though, because that, but they're I think- also getting cash. Though you see, if you, you know, there's been a lot of news about the sweep accounts mm-hmm. at Ameritrade and Schwab and all of these guys and how they're paying two-tenths of a percent or one-tenth of a percent. On, and, but the money market rates they're being able to, to get lending it out are one and a half. That's a big spread. Yeah. yeah. When you're talking, you know, up a hundred here, hundred there. And by the way, that, I mean, that's, <laughs> a very, that's a very good point for investors to be more efficient. Oh. I mean, today in the world, there's like $9 trillion in cash. What a waste. I mean, at least your money should be in stocks or bonds because you're Giving the money to somebody else. And a, but another thing to consider is that in an environment like this where rates are so low, and they're very, very low, not at this historic lows, but they're low. In, a, in an environment like that, expectations now for returns have to be lowered across the board because everything feeds off of that safe money rate. So your ex- expectations for stocks need to be lower, et cetera, just based on that. So what becomes critical now are those fees. Yes. Where fees when yes. when you make when your returns were 17% as you mentioned in the big bull market, you don't mind paying 2% a year. Yeah. Because you're still getting 15. But if you're getting 5 on a portfolio, a 2% fee, which a lot of the major brokers still charge, that's onerous. And by the way, that also brings up another and I, you may want to go another direction, but that brings up another point that we mentioned just a minute ago that the work should be planning centric because it's not just the fees, it's the taxes. How you take money out from which account all the and how the money's managed in those accounts. So you're really being as efficient as you can with every dollar. And again, people over well, cuz I I put it I put money in Tesla in January and sold in February made a lot of money. They think that's what investing is. No, investing is not paying much to others, being very tax efficient and creating an income stream from that in a way that suits your lifestyle. That's what good investing and planning is, not picking the right stock. So let's talk about couples. And uh, I don't know your experience, but mine was in almost every couple, one was interested in the market and the other one really deferred to that person. What are you doing or what do you think even do-it-yourself people should be doing to try to get that what appears to be disinterested they aren't disinterested well uh, they yeah. just don't want to deal you've got with a great it. story I, I, we just talked about it this morning yeah well and you could talk about the one from last weekend at our client event but yesterday a couple came in uh where he's story. been the guy that's handled the money and he's and, and, and he makes a decent living lives in a small town and uh <laughs> And so I asked at the beginning of every meeting, I said, what do you want to know? What's going to, out of our time together, what's going to be valuable to you? And he said, well, I want to know how you invest with the presidential election and with the correction that's coming, et cetera, et cetera. And then I asked the woman and she says, you know, I really don't pay any attention to all this, but I want to know, do we have enough money for retirement? It's fascinating. So she she wants the security ads. She wants to know I'm going to have the money. How do we fix that? Here's how you fix it. And this will be playing to Don's story well, is we don't obfuscate. We make it. I said, let's talk about how what investing is. So I give a simple explanation of investing in stocks is this and investing in bonds is this. I mean, and how how you build portfolio construction. But we try to do it in a way that is pretty elemental because it is elemental. It's so basic. It. I, our goal is to simplify, not complicate. 
Wall Street's goal is to complicate and obfuscate because those two things lend a great deal or create a great deal of perceived value in their knowledge and expertise, if you will. Uh, we want to make it easy. That's why I wrote a book that was easy and dumb. I mean, it's dumb investing. It's dumbed down investing. But let me tell you, we had a woman at our client event. She said, I've been to lots of these. I've been to a lot of classes and workshops and you know, people are talking to me about investing. And she goes, I had no idea what any of them were talking about. None whatsoever. She said, but I went to your retire meet, which is our big retirement mm -hmm. event every year. And she said, I walked out of the room at the break and looked at my husband and said, I understand everything they said. That's how you make a difference. Tom's right. Make it understandable. If Wall Street really, truly wants to educate their clients, and I don't believe they do, being a cynic, make it simple because it is simple. Options, unnecessary. Unnecessary. Private placements, for uh, unnecessary. Private equity. Private equity, unnecessary. Uh, a lot of these uh, uh, alternative investments, unnecessary. It's your stocks and your bonds. It's your risk, your reward. It's using science. It's keeping your fees low, and it's... Living, tax, tax efficiency and then letting yeah. and then living life quit worrying about it all the time and yet when you put together a portfolio for your clients it isn't a simple portfolio it is a combination of big and small but it's easy to it's easy to explain okay yeah i think i think it, there's a complexity to that uh that is hard to explain in some ways but in other ways it's not i mean it's fairly intuitive right you're <laughs> You're taking more risk with, with stocks because you may or may not get your money back. With bonds, most of the time, with the right type of bonds, get your money back with the interest, right? It's an IOU. It's a different type of investment. I call them duh moments. Mm -hmm. You know, it's so much easier for people to understand it when you go, let's think about this for a minute. Value stocks outperform growth stocks. Why? Because they're undervalued, thus their name. So they have more room to grow. Duh. Little companies have more room to grow because they're little and they're trying to become big. Big companies, are they, their percentage of growth can't eventually has to be capped. More profitable companies tend to outperform less profitable companies. There's a surprise. Duh. Mm -hmm. Works for me. Yeah. <laughs> so talk about uh, your advisors for a second. Um. What is it that you require out of an advisor? Do they have to come here with experience elsewhere, or do you do you take young people? And I, and I mention this because we have a lot of listeners who would love to get into this industry. What is it that you look for uh, for uh, in an advisor? That is just a great question, because our oldest advisor, I think, now is like 46 or something, if you don't include myself. Apparently, I was going to say, apparently, you're not counting you or I know, Barb. myself or Barb. I mean, uh, it's... It, it, I truly believe that you could walk in the door tomorrow, and if you were just an empathetic person that cared about others, you can be a great advisor. You do not need to know how markets work. You do not need to know small and value. You don't even need to know the planning part. We can teach you all that. So do we have people that got a finance degree? Yeah, we've got, and we have a young guy we just hired from Schwab who has a CFP and is working as a CFA, very bright guy. And, we had him work on some of the numbers for retirement. But at the other end, frankly, is my son, who, while he has a finance degree, he went to a very small school, and he never came out thinking he'd get in this business. He wanted to you know, do something in soccer, whatever it was, and ended up here, and I think he does a very good job. But he cares about people. So I think, you know, do you need all that work as an advisor today? I would say no. Does it help because it gives you perspective? Sure. Uh, but no, I think, honestly, in, and, and here's the other part. The software today is so much better than it was even mm -hmm. 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. If you know how to put that in and how to look at it correctly, you can build plans for people that I think are, are very, very solid um, and that you can trust. So I, I, don't, I think the era of you need to have an MBA and you got to have a finance degree and all that, I think that's all. I think that's should over. Have been, should have been over a long time yeah, ago, too. I think you got to care because, about people. Because then you, then you tend, those kind of people tend to overanalyze Well, they're money-oriented. And yeah. the, that's the other part, because you mentioned it. If you're truly money-oriented and you want to make half a million dollars a year, then go be a broker and sell annuities because you'll make Because that. you can't possibly do it in, an, in, in, a, in a company like ours because we don't charge a lot. 
and there are a limited number of hours in the day. And the people we're looking for are people people, people centric people, because it is not about the money management. It is about the relationship management. And I believe the number one thing and someone providing investment or financial or lifetime advice, the number one thing that they can bring to the relationship is that ability to control and calm the emotions of the Mm -hmm. client. Mm -hmm. Those are the biggest detriments we all have to investing. And by the way, a lot of times people come in and look at the advisor and go, how old is that person? And I, my answer, by the way, is I, my doctor retired a couple of years ago. I have a young doctor. And every, I tease him every once in a while, like, you did finish high school, right? I mean, you look like you're about 15. But my advice to people is, well, would you like to have a young advisor who's going to yeah. work the next 30 years and take care of you through the rest of your life? Or do you or want, do you want an old, old guy like, me? like Tom? Right. You I can mean, have him. He might, might not be around that long. So, You know, one of the things I worry about, and I, and I see this happening, people work with large organizations. And they've been trained, uh, and and yet the the training doesn't always uh, make that person a good advisor. I'll, I'll give you an example. Uh, somebody came to me and asked me what I thought about a certain product that investment that was being used in an organization that was saving money, a nonprofit saving money to do something in a couple of years with the money, where they had been told to put the money. And it was in this investment was a fixed in a fixed income investment that basically holds B double B triple B single B. It's high yield junk bonds. They're junk bonds, but they're they are relatively short term. Mm-hmm. They're floating floating rates mm-hmm. bonds. So, but but the bottom line is, I said I said to the person who was asking, let me just show you how those those mutual funds that held those did in 2008. The average bond fund lost 26%. There was a really good one that only lost 16%. You're talking junk bond fund. Well, that's what it is, except that they don't present it. No, they call them high yield. Well, sometimes they put that, Fidelity puts that right in the name of the fund. Mm -hmm. But they don't always. No, they don't. I mean, even high yield bonds. I remember that Oppenheimer, Oppenheimer had one, and the name was the Oppenheimer uh, Champion Bond Fund. Well, champion Im- implies something. You're a winner. You're a big winner. And it lost, I think, 40-some percent because it was a well, high-yield bond fund. In, in 2008, there were very popular securities sold by the brokerage industry to mainly to institutions, to corporations, to uh, charitable organizations that they claimed provided them with much higher returns and daily liquidity. That was Adjustable. Rate. They were called auction rate notes. Auction, auction, rate. Rate. auction, rate. Yeah. auction rate notes. And I once asked a broker, because I had an organization that I worked with that had these auction rate notes with a broker in, in Phoenix. And uh, I called him and I said, what's the downside on these auction rate notes? I said, the yields are really high. I said, but you're saying I can get daily liquidity. He goes, yeah, you can get daily liquidity because there's an auction every day at which you can sell those notes. And I said, what happens if there isn't? Well, there always has been. Mm. But shortly thereafter, there wasn't. There wasn't. No one stepped up to the auction to buy the notes. And as a matter of fact, what made that uh, even dicier for the industry is I believe there were emails encouraging people to buy those, or get their clients to buy those mm-hmm. because they were trying to fill the need uh, because they were in they trouble. They were trying to create a, the liquidity needed to sell their positions. That, that, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Because so they turned that, out, then that, they ended up being, instead of daily liquidity, they, they t- ended up being a full 10-year term. You had to wait to get your money. Right. So, Don, your book, Financial Physics, spelled F Y S I C S. Well, the the the, uh, the physical physics guys had a, like a trademark on physics. And, <laughs> yeah, and by the okay. way, you can get it at Amazon for two dollars with only four dollars worth of shipping. I understand. Right? That's from the South the Goodwill. The local Goodwill has one copy, but it's 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 used. It's heavily dog-eared used. Well, it's dog I, I, I like it a lot. I I think it's a great for a young investor. Maybe even for some people that aren't young. But talk about the three ways to make money. That is. 
fun. I came up with this years ago on the show. People are going, well, oh, there's so I said, there's so many ways to make money. And I was thinking about it. And I'm going, I thought, I thought, I thought. I went, one, two, three. Hmm. I couldn't come up with four. So I went, okay, I think I found the first law of financial physics. That's where the idea came from. And I would say on the air, I said, I've got a law of financial physics. There are only three ways to make money. And I challenge, I've challenged people for 15 years now to show me, maybe longer, to show me a, a fourth way that does not fit into any one of the other three or the, a combination thereof. There are three ways to make money. One, luck. Win the lottery, born into the right family. Uh, you, you, you buy a stock that happens to go up. That's just, that's luck. Those are all luck. Then there's bad behavior, stealing, lying, cheating. A lot of people get rich that way. Bernie Madoff did very well for a while until they made off with him to his little home. Yeah. Um, and their, their combination. Oh, and then the third one is the one that most people would not like to use to get rich. And that is work. That's it. So where does the uh, investing as a way to oh, make money, isn't that does fun. that start with work or that starts with luck? It can be a combination. Or, okay. It usually is a combination of work and luck. Sometimes it's a combination of work, luck, and theft. But most of the time it's, you know, like in the case of an Enron, mm -hmm. you know, their stock went up because of a little bit of luck, a little bit of work. And a little bit of theft, mm -hmm. a little bit of dishonesty. So yeah. it was all three. So you can have all threes. Uh, investing, science-based investing without, ex without high expectations where you just rebalance and sit still, that's work. That 100% falls mm. under work. And by the way, I'm going to wait in for a week for Paul to have a list of 10 ways you can make money. <laughs> he can't. He always has a 10. I, I, so I'm it's telling him. There is no right. fourth I'm way. Waiting. Oh. I'm waiting. I'm I waiting. have thrown this gauntlet down. I offered people 30 investing books, an entire library. I'd pay the shipping and handling if they could show me one. No, we, uh, no was financial. It was in there. It was. It was. Whoa, yeah. thank yeah, you. Financial fitness forever was in there. Which one was that? Financial so. fitness was in there, and the uh, the the buy and hold one. The the what's the other book? Uh, live it up without live it out. What, live it Still up without living. Yeah. yeah, it's right there in the library. <laughs> All right, you guys. Those were Paul it, Merriman books that yeah. were quite good. It has absolutely been a ball for me working with you guys for how many years did we work we go together? So Over 10. I found, well, I mean, no, I found you on the about the same time I found this guy, right? Because I was programming the radio station in Seattle. We put the business radio network on that put both of you guys on the air. So I heard you both because Don had the show and they called you up one day and interviewed you. And I was oh. listening going, Paul Merriman, is he a local guy? So that's how I found you. That was like 1988. That's the same time I found him. So. Yeah. It all worked out well. We didn't plug the podcast, though, did we? We did not. Yeah. So we want to say, th and, and I, I alluded I need to, to this earlier. I need to plug the podcast. I'll let you do he that. He has more listeners than we well, do. Well, he has way more. So we need a couple of his <laughs> Let's listeners. Let's do it. Let, plug. Put a couple of plugs well, in. Before you, before you do that, I want to say thank you to Paul because- Can't you do that after? Okay, go ahead. <laughs> he always gets to go first. Talking Real Money. Yes. It's called Talking Real Money. It's on every major podcast service known to mankind. Uh, you can go to TalkingRealMoney.com, which is a great place to find all kinds of cool stuff. Like we're starting to do videos now, investing videos and... Uh uh, Investing videos. The risk quizzes there. Are you doing those in your studio here, the videos? No, I make. I, we don't see our ugly mugs. Oh, I we're see. radio oh, guys. Oh, I did see a couple of those. Yeah, They're careful good. now. They we're, are. Good. We're radio guys. We don't yeah. want our faces yeah. up there. No, I understand. So, okay, I have a face for radio. Tom. Tom's beautiful. Talking real money. It, it. And by the way, the the what people like about the program is it's fun. Like the interview yeah. today. People, a lot of people, and they come in and they go. You guys are the same guys there, and we, we basically are. And we want to help everybody. We want to have a little fun. This is, shouldn't be that serious. But I do want to thank you, Paul, because uh, as I as I mentioned earlier in the business, earlier on the show, I was a journalist and I was a business owner, and you were the guy who convinced me to get in this business. And I can remember actually, Jeff was the guy who said mm. you should work with us. I was like, "What do you mean work? We'll work in the business." It is it it's it. it Beyond the money, which is, I, and I, I, I make a good living. I don't make a great living. Um, I, I love it. I love the business. I love all the stuff we get to do with people. I love all the clients. And I told our clients that last week that it's made my life richer yeah. in so many ways, so rewarding. So I need to thank you for that. And I need to thank you as, on behalf of the public 
for all the work you've done for them, which is thank absolutely you. free. You go to the website, you don't have to buy anything, and you can learn a ton. So thank you for all that. Ours too, though. That's true. <laughs> TalkingRealMoney.com. <laughs> Don, Don never gives up. I never give up. Listen, uh, you guys. It's been. It, it's really, actually, Paul. It's been so much fun working with you, and I don't know about him, but with you, you're you know you're a true gentleman. <laughs> thank you, thank you both, and uh, I hope you'll come back. I, I guess I'll have to with this truth teller thing that I'm working on. I'll probably have to go back and audit each year because Ooh. because you see what you said last you year. You could make a mistake. That's true. And, and I can't have you talking to the people if you've made a mistake. Yeah, now, Dave Ramsey's not on your list, is he? No, Dave oh, Ramsey yeah. is not on Thank the list. Thank goodness, that 12% return Wade bothers Cook, the heck Dave out of me. Dave Ramsey, Bernie Madoff. It, it does bothers me, me. It does me, And he keeps too. saying it's absolute fact. I know it. And, and for our listeners, before we leave, let's make sure they hear this. He says that the average return for the S&P 500 is 12% a year. He is absolutely right. He is right. Yes, has been. No, well, but but that's fine. That's not the compound rate of return. Mm -hmm. And that's what people need to understand. You do not build wealth with average rates of return. In fact, you could actually lose money with average rates of return. Give you an example. You put $100 into something that's up 50%. So your 100 is 150 now it's down 50% the next year. Now it's $75. And yet the average return is zero. And so it makes investing look better than it is when you show the average return. And the reason that that's an important thing is people then latch onto that. Mm -hmm. They do their planning on that. And that's not going to get, them, not get them where they need, where to, they need to go. Yeah. So thank you Touché. both very much. I wish you the best. You guys are doing a great job. Thanks, Paul. Thanks. That was Paul Merriman with Sound Investing. Sound Investing, soundinvesting.com and paulmerriman.com are produced and exclusively owned by Paul Merriman, who is solely responsible for their content. For more information, free articles, mutual fund recommendations, and more, visit paulmerriman.com.